You're listening to Standing in the Gap. Standing in the Gap is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exposition of scriptures. I'm your host and podcast preacher, Brandon Harrell. I'm the pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church in East Flat Rock, nestled here in the mountains of Western North Carolina, where I've served for the past 10 years. I pray the podcast will bless your life as we study God's Word together. All right, this is Pastor Brandon. We're in the little book of Jude and uh, studying this little epistle that's concerning the apostasy of the last days, that falling away from the faith that would occur just prior to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this, we've looked at three headings primarily. We saw, first of all, the admonition that calls us to the fight. Jude said we're to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And then we saw the attributes that characterize the foe. We looked at uh, various aspects of what the apostates are, who they are, what they do. And in verse 19, we found that they were they that separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So we find that those who apostatize, ultimately, the problem is they are unregenerate. They have not been born again. But now, in the latter portion of this epistle, from verse uh, 20 and following, we're studying the actions that cultivate faithfulness. The actions that cultivate faithfulness in days of apostasy. It is important that we do all that we can to maintain faithful, uh, maintain our faithfulness uh, under the Lord despite all that's going on around us. And as we studied this, we saw, first of all, the edification of the saints cultivates faithfulness. That was in verses 20 and 21, where Jude said, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And then we saw the evangelization of the straying. He told us in verses 22 and 3 that we are uh, to evangelize those who are straying. He says, "...of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh." I'm so glad today that there is hope, even for those who have at one time professed faith but did not really have the reality of salvation in their lives, that though they have turned, though they have denounced that profession, there's still hope that they may be saved. We need to reach out and proclaim the gospel even to the apostates in hopes that the Lord of the harvest would draw them unto himself and save them. But then lastly, we're looking at the aspect of uh, cultivating our faithfulness, the action that cultivates our faithfulness, which is the exaltation of the Savior. Now, as we think about this exaltation, we saw, first of all, his ability in verses 24. Uh, in verse 24, it says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is able there to do two things, to prevent us from falling and to present us faultless. And so we're to exalt the Savior who is able uh, to carry us through, to keep us by his power. Those of us who are truly saved, and to present us faultless before his glory. But then we're noticing not only the ability of our Savior, but the attributes of our Savior. 
It says, now unto him, there in verse 24. And then it says, verse 25, to the only wise God. We're to attribute, we're to ascribe these various characteristics unto the Lord. We are to acknowledge these things about him and to proclaim that they are so. We saw, first of all, glory in verse number 25. Um, I'm sorry. The first thing we saw was that he is the only wise God. We saw the singularity of our God. We saw his wisdom. And then we saw his glory. It just has the idea of to have high esteem for, to give great honor unto. But then we've coupled the final three attributes here mentioned uh, into one heading, and that is simply sovereignty. Sovereignty is the theme of these last attributes of Christ. Now, in this text, I would remind you that in verse 4, Jude spoke of one of the attributes of the apostates being that they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, deny there, it meant to abnegate, to reject, or to fail to speak. And then the word Lord before God is the word despotes. It means absolute sovereignty. And then the word kurios is Lord before the phrase Jesus Christ. So they deny the sovereignty of God. They abnegate, they reject, or they utterly refuse to mention the sovereignty, the absolute sovereignty of God the Father. And the lordship, the curios, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the apostate age has a real problem with the sovereignty of God. I personally believe that the scriptures teach absolute sovereignty. The absolute sovereignty of God over his creation. Now, I know that a statement like that, especially in these days, will get you labeled. And I'm fully aware that there are ditches on both sides of the road. I endeavor as a Bible preacher to stay right in the middle and to stay balanced. But at the same time, I will not pretend, as some do, that God's sovereignty is any less clear in Scripture than man's responsibility. The two doctrines are perfectly compatible, and they are not mutually exclusive. Now, I want to make a qualifying statement before we go any further because I don't want to be misunderstood. We are dealing with the apostasy of the last days. And Jude is saying that an identifying mark of that age will be an attack on the sovereignty of God. But that does not mean that every individual who rejects absolute sovereignty has apostatized. Uh, I'm saying that because so many uh, on either side of the road, they feel like that if you disagree with them concerning the sovereignty of God over the affairs of his creation, that somehow you've slipped off into heresy and you've slipped off into a denial of the faith altogether. And I don't agree with that. Uh, some of the some of my favorite theologians, some of my favorite preachers, uh, some of the Christians that I know and hold the most esteem for in my walk with Christ disagree with me uh, concerning the matter of the sovereignty of God. I have found that many times I'm a, a little more uh, lenient with them than they are with me, but that's all right. But at the end of the day, I want to make this qualifying statement. I am not saying 
that every individual who disagrees or who rejects the absolute sovereignty of God is an apostate. Not everyone who rejects the absolute sovereignty of God is an apostate. But, let me say this, every apostate does reject the absolute sovereignty of God. Now, did you hear what I said? Don't hear what I didn't say. Hear what I said. I'm not saying that every uh, individual who denies and rejects the absolute sovereignty of God is an apostate. But what we do learn from Jude is that every apostate does reject the absolute sovereignty of God. Now, as we've looked at these three uh, words that are used to describe the sovereignty, there's a different nuance to each one of them. The first we looked at was megalusone. It means, uh, it's translated here majesty. It literally means greatness. In scripture, it usually refers to God's uh, divinity, his deity. Then there's the word dominion. It translates the Greek word kratos. It means sovereign or supreme authority, the power of governing and control. Um, Hastings says it means lordship or the possession and exercise of the power to rule. To sum up those aspects of God's sovereignty, I would say that majesty refers to God's rank. He, as God, ought to be esteemed sovereign because of his inherent majesty. And then the word dominion refers to his realm, or in other words, his jurisdiction. So majesty tells us that he is king. Uh, dominion tells us where he has rule, his jurisdiction, the realm of his kingship. But then we come to this third word in verse 25, and it's translated here, power, power. It has to do with the right of God to rule. Now, many a ruler has ascended power through an earthly form of majesty. For instance, one's bloodline may have ensured a place of prominence and power. Uh, they then had a particular realm in which they were to rule. For instance, the Queen of England has no jurisdiction in America. Coupled with that, there's upon every earthly ruler a set of principles and laws that put limitations on their ability within their own realm. For instance, in America, the president is limited by the Constitution, or at least he is supposed to be. But when it comes to God, the word power tells us what it is that limits or governs him. This word power, it is the Greek word exousia. Typically, when we see the word power, it's the word dunamis, and it simply means strength or might or authority. Uh, that's, the word power is translated 71 times from that word dunamis, but here it is exousia. It's translated this way 61 times in the Scripture. Listen to the meaning of this word. We won't get a whole lot farther than this. I want to expound on this next week, but I want to lay the groundwork this week. But listen to the meaning of this word, exousia, that we find here in the Scripture. It literally means the power of choice or the liberty of doing as one pleases. God is limited only by his own will. He has, listen to me, 
absolute freedom to do whatsoever he wills to do, whensoever he wills to do it, and with whomsoever he wills to do it. God is majestic. He has the rank and the royalty of a king. He has the realm. His dominion tells us of his jurisdiction. But here the word power tells us of his right, his absolute sovereign right as God of the universe to do whatsoever he wills, whensoever he wills, with whomsoever he wills. Now there's some passages that I want to look at the next time. I want you to look and just take your take some time this week and read Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 24. And in verse 21 of that text, you'll find this word power uh, translated there. And it has to do with the potter having power over the clay. Back in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, we read the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. He found out the hard way that God does whatsoever he wills to do. And I want to look at that thought next week and uh, just spend some time with you considering the fact that God has freedom of power, freedom of will, freedom of choice to do as he pleases. Now, uh, let me just make a practical application before we go off the air. We are in dark and dismal days. We are in days when you look around, it seems as if everything is chaotic and everything is topsy-turvy and everything is just falling apart. But I want us to remember in these days of apostasy, when men and women are turning from the faith, when everything's like it is, we still have a God who is majestic, who has dominion and jurisdiction over all of his creation, and who has the power to act according to his will freely. He has liberty to do as he pleases. And I promise you, he's always doing right. Till next time, this has been Pastor Brandon. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. I hope it's been a blessing to you. If you'd like to contact me, you can find our church's website at www com. You can also follow me on Twitter at PreacherB underscore BBC. If you'd like to watch our services live streamed, you can do that on Facebook at Bethesda Baptist East Flat Rock. God bless you till we meet again.